Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! Yes! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go in the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. Well, I, yeah. got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. Take an amazing journey. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You should be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. Uh, but as for you, you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world, and we're mashing up today with Cultish. So it's Apologia Radio, Cultish, gospel heard around the world, engaging with the kingdom of the cults. And uh, you can get more at ApologiaStudios.com, A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A, Studios.com. That's where you guys go to get all of the past radio shows, podcast episodes. Apologia Radio, Cultish, Sheologians, Provoke, they're all there for your listening pleasure, and... You can sign up for All Access. When you sign up for All Access, you partner with us as a ministry in all that we're doing, whether it is what's happening next week in Denver, Colorado, at the chamber at the state capitol. I'll be testifying before their legislature for the bill of abolition and equal protection we got into the state of Colorado. Please pray for that. But when you are All Access, you help make that possible as well to make sure that gets out to be seen by the world. And you get all kinds of additional content. The TV shows, the after show, Apologia Academy. Once a month, the Ask Me Anything, which is a uh, private feed that only our All Access partners get to join uh, to ask any question that you want and to participate with me and uh, Isaac. And uh, sometimes maybe Luke will take over that. James will take over that, Dr. James White. So that's, uh, we, we want to bless our All Access uh, partners and more is coming for you guys. So sign up for All Access. If you haven't signed up for Bonson U yet, make sure you sign up for Bonson U. You're missing out every day that you don't have it. Trust me, there are there's about 2,000 audio uh, lectures, uh, videos uh, that are coming up. Uh, they're just being 
fixed up. We're correcting audio, making it look better, and so it's more coming all the time. But if you want to learn about apologetics, church history, the Bible, if you want to learn about theology, if you want to learn about philosophy, all that stuff, it's going to be there at Bonson U, and uh, it is absolutely incredible, and it's free, 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 thanks to the Bonson family entrusting us with that. So if you haven't signed up, please sign up right away, get a free account, and uh, start getting your learning on. I am Jeff. They call me the Ninja. Interesting show today. We're going to talk a bit about Finally, you can redeem your nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's Luke the Bear right there. What up? And that's uh, Jerry from Cultish. Jeremiah. Sorry, Jeremiah. No, he's Jerry. Should I do my old apology? Nostradamus. What was your old Nostradamus. 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 That's right, because you're breathing. He's always breathing heavy into the microphone. We'd have the old... Listen to some of the old podcast episodes from the original Apology Radio way early on, and you can hear just... <laughs> no, with my nose, it was yeah. flaring. And yeah, exactly. I, I can only make yeah. that sound with my mouth well, because you did so well with your nose. <laughs> well, the funniest like thing is too engines. is that some people have asked messaged us on Coltish and said, "Hey, you should get Jeff Durbin on sometime." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, we should totally have. Hopefully, we can get him on, even though you're initially kind of the co-host along with me." Right. But the funniest thing about the very first episode, we were like Jerry Jeremiah. But the very first episode when I started, I was like, I want to take myself seriously. Like, you get to call me by my full name. Yeah. And you were struggling the whole time. There's so many it's times where you're like, Jerry Jeremiah. Jerry Jeremiah. <laughs> I don't yeah. even try. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do. I haven't known, we've Jerry and I've known each other since we were kids. Since yeah. Since we were, you know, 18 yeah, and we 16. Babes. Just a wee little wee lads uh, <laughs> uh, outside the Mormon Temple in Mesa, Arizona. So uh, today we're going to be doing a show talking about the martial arts and the occult. And I'm sure this is going to be somewhat broad, but we are going to also have some sniper fire talking about a specific um, style, ninjutsu and the connection to the occult and those sorts of things. And so we have a guest on with us that's going to join us in this discussion and uh Let's just sort of, let's just go with it. Jerry, introduce our guest and let's start the conversation. Yeah, so uh, Justin, is your last name, do you pronounce it Joss or how do you pronounce your last name? Jones. Jones, okay. So Justin Jones, uh -huh. we, we chatted about a year ago and you were just telling me a little about about your testimony and you uh, Did really... you just, hold on. Did you just ask him how he pronounces yeah. his last, is Jones? Yeah. How do you well, spell that? Is it, how do you say your last name? Is it Jones? Is it, uh... Is it your yeah. Is Soft, yeah. soft J. Is it a so, Is it your name? How do you say? It's, uh, it's Jones, bro. Oh well, the way you're spent your your uh, last name was spelled on Facebook. That was that's why I was confused. I think it was like J U E S S or something. So like that. here's the thing. Listen, it's because we're all very very trust me behind the scenes, we're all so close. We've yeah. spent so much time together. Um, on this show, we cannot uphold Jerry's dignity on this show. So on a I, I cultist, he wants to be taken very serious as Jeremiah. Yeah. Hello, my oh. name is Jeremiah. the host Today. of host of cultist. Oh, well, yeah. you're on, you're on apology already now, bro. Today and, uh, he brought Rufus yeah, with him. That's yeah. right. Let's go Rufus. Yeah. This is the old me. Yeah. Can't take yourself that's too just, seriously. By the way, a little insider information. That's, uh, his name is Rufus here. Yeah. We call him Rufus. Is Alter ego. If you, if you, if you see, no, right no, now, no, it's true. Like, I'm trying to uphold no. my my uh, my professional, you know, Jeremiah from Cultish. No, anyone who's seen the the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, I've you, been, I've been telling this story a lot yeah. lately. Actually, yeah. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, tell. Uh, well, Justin, we, we, I'm sorry, man. This is going to go sorry. off the rails a lot. Sorry, Giannis. Giannis, it's absolutely Mr. okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we had a lot of outsiders. Uh, and it's say outsiders mean people not from here within our church at man yeah. camp and stuff. And so I was telling the Walter Mitty 
storyline. So if you've seen the yeah. Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which is a very, very good movie. Yeah, yeah. That's Jerry. When I saw Only it. Only we call it The Secret Life of Rufus. I went and saw it mm-hmm. with my family. And as soon as it was over, like my wife and I were talking in the movie. Oh, my goodness. It's Jerry. I get him, And as though. soon as it was over, I messaged Jerry. I said, dude, <laughs> you have to go to Secret Life, Secret Life of Walter Mitty because it's you <laughs> it's it's you i felt so insecure watching us was, was ben stiller like have a team spying on me yeah, I know, exactly. based it's off of? jerry yeah. based it's off totally of your jerry. life story so anyways <laughs> justin jones uh <laughs> dude um so we, we were chatting uh, a year ago now now that i now that i officially have no credibility whatsoever but um <laughs> but yeah man so you just tell me just a little bit about we chatted but uh, it's been a while but you have a uh-huh. kind of interesting story because we're talking about martial arts and the occult. How did talk mm-hmm. about how you got into it was ninjutsu and that became a catalyst to kind of get into some stuff that and you had some very interesting supernatural experiences. Tell me about that. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, um, well, it started off, um, long story short, uh, since I was a kid, I mean, like five years old, very interested in martial arts. Uh, I hadn't even made it to kindergarten yet, and uh, I was already interested in it. And you got to think back, I'm 38, fixed to be 39. We didn't have cable TV, and we didn't have uh, satellite back then. It was just word of mouth and things that I heard that I was like, yeah, that's what I want. And I was a five-year-old, and um, I would say things to people like that, and they would say, you know, well, you're too young to understand that. But uh, So when I was in middle school, there was a karate class that opened up. And uh, I was dead set on training. I was dead set. Uh, it was one of those things that, you know, as a child, you ask your parents for permission for certain things. But this was one of those things where I was like, I've got to do this. And um, but all in the back of my mind, I always had heard of ninjutsu, ninjutsu, the, you know, the, the art of the, the, the ninja. And I know that sounds cliche. I know it sounds corny. I know. I, I promise you I do. Um, but I ran into a friend of mine when I was 19, uh, skipping ahead many years. And uh, he said he was training in in, Mar- in uh, Macon, Georgia. And um, long story short, uh, I had been training in karate for a long time. But I told him, I said, I'm, I'm not leaving right now, this conversation that me and you are having, until you give me your number, because I had, we had lost touch, one of those friends, and I can get in contact with you, and I'm going to train with you on Saturday. And he said, well, I'll have to contact the instructor. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, you have to be um, invited to the class before you can come. And I was like, do whatever you got to do because I'm coming. And uh, he, he was like, okay. And so anyway, he did. And I got a hold of the instructor. And the instructor, of course, you know, yeah, tell him to come on up. And, and uh, from that moment on, it was uh, 12 to 15 years of solid training. And it didn't stop. And uh, just kept going. And then uh, I got out of it because I realized what was going on. But I'd like to fill in the details later on. But that's kind of the gist of the story. Yeah, so it's interesting because when we engage in this discussion of the martial arts, I mean, I saw someone in the feed here saying they're taking mixed martial arts now. That's wonderful. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm so passionate about the martial arts. I love the martial arts. I, I train as much as I can. I was just training before I came here. I throw a couple hundred kicks and punches a day. I, I do like an hour and a half of martial arts training uh, at least three times a week. Um, I've never lost mm-hmm. my love for it. Uh, competed um, all through my teenage and young adult years. Um, uh, went to all the most important tournaments in the country. Uh, won those. Won the grand championships and went to the junior Olympics and did Ninja Turtles and all that stuff. And so I'm super passionate about it. And so there, oftentimes, um, 
within the Christian community, people will often approach it in the terms of like pacifism, like Christians shouldn't learn self-defense or engage in self-defense because we just need to be pacifists. Well, we've done a lot on that, uh, refuted right, that, right. refuted that biblically with the Word of God. Um, that sort of perspective really uh, destroys a lot of God's reputation in Scripture. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so you have you know texts in Scripture that you know say things like Psalm one forty four one. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. Uh, that's part of the songs. If we were singing the psalms, maybe we wouldn't be pacifists. Um, but mm-hmm. there, there is, there needs to be like a proper uh, order of category, categories and thinking when you think about the martial arts. There is, there is the martial arts that is focused upon combat self-defense, pain compliance, uh, protecting victims, protecting yourself, protecting your family, the preservation of life in a fallen world. And it's just a focus upon combat. Um, you're, you're focusing on how does the human body work? How is it able to move? And how can I stop it from hurting me? Or how can I use my body to hurt the person? And so very, very important things. And I would say, you know, police mm-hmm. officers and military people are very, very thankful for the martial arts and the martial arts tradition that gives them the ability to control somebody who's acting like an animal. Um, yeah. And uh, so it's very, very important. But then there's there's another aspect that you have to acknowledge. As much as I love the martial arts, as much as I'm passionate about it, I'd love for everybody to learn some self-defense. I think it's important, especially for men, uh, to learn some self-defense. Um, I, I recognize, and we recognize, and we'll get into this here, even in discussing ninjutsu, um, that there are elements to martial arts training uh, that Christians must avoid. You have to avoid. You have to mm-hmm. not compromise with uh, because they're deadly and dangerous. They would fall into the category of what I read at the beginning of the show in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and that's God's forbidding his people to engage in practices that try to communicate with the dead, divination, sorcery, that sort of stuff. And yes, there are martial arts systems that are hitched up together with the occult. Um, I've mentioned before, you can look at something like Tai Chi. Uh, The system was built upon the philosophy and worldview. And so what your the moves themselves arise out of the com- first of all it's a garbage combat system but but the moves themselves arise out of the philosophical worldview situation with chi power and all of these points of energy in your body yeah. connecting to the earth and all that nonsense but you have a system like this is interesting too I want to ask you about this Justin Jonas Justin Jonas I want to ask you uh, to to engage with this because I would say Ninjutsu um, has its deficiencies, as does every martial arts system. Like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, people are like, just, just engage in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm like, well, you're in big trouble if you get attacked in a parking lot with two attackers and all you've been doing is Amen. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Is it, the best, is it the best ground game there is? No question. Absolutely. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the best in terms of on-the-ground grappling, nothing better. But it has its deficiencies. If you don't recognize it, it's mm-hmm. just prideful. Um, ninjutsu has good stuff to it, but it's all, it also has its deficiencies. But ninjutsu also, even with the really positive stuff, it has an element to it. And I engage in this as well, Justin. I got into this before as a professing believer. I got into ninjutsu because uh, I wanted. I was. I was like you. I grew up like you know idolizing the ninjas and ninjas in movies and you know American Ninja and all. That. I broke the tapes. I watched it so much. And yeah. So I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to do ninjutsu. So I want to kick this over to you. I got into it, and in order to get into it the way I was, you were learning te- techniques, but also I was being told by my instructors, the guys who were teaching me, you need to do this too. And so I. 
I had the situation in my room where I, for hours a night I was going into a dark room and I was trying to do remote viewing. I was trying to be able to get out of my body so you yeah, can you can yeah, view absolutely. the you could view the enemy. And so I was trying to yeah. do transcendental meditation, all that stuff, remote viewing. And let me just tell you, some scary and spooky stuff arose out of that. Yes. So could you engage with that? That what we're talking about yeah. here is the distinction between the greatness of the combat in the system, and then also what do you need to worry about as a Christian? Yeah, yeah, big time. And I agree with everything you just said. And I'll add some more to my story that um, I didn't say a while ago. Um, I'm very, like you said, I'm very appreciative of the martial arts. I'm very appreciative of everything I learned. I'm very, uh, uh, I don't want to say uh, I sound cocky. I'm very, um, uh, I, I feel uh, good about myself if I, if something was to arise and I had to protect my family. Let's say it that way, because I have a wife and three daughters and I'll do anything to protect them. So combat, protecting uh, your loved ones is something that a man should do is something the head of the household should do and be responsible for. Um, our culture has went the way of uh, not that kind of man, but we need to bring our culture back to that kind of man. Um, but what you said, as far as the remote viewing and all the different situations like that um, uh, was tied into the martial art that I was uh, training in, in industry. And so, uh, like you said, there's aspects of it that can be very good, but the remote viewing, uh, the meditation, uh, one of the things before class starts, um, you come in and you bow. And in karate, we had a traditional bow, which you just bow to the instructor and it's showing uh, respect for the instructor. But with a ninjutsu, you come in and I wasn't told what was going on here. Uh, there was a, a, a thing that looked like a little house on the wall above your head on a shelf. And when I came in, I was like, uh, that was kind of strange, you know. But I was told that, hey, look, that's just showing respect for Japan. We're bowing to it to show respect for the, the grandmaster over there, the teacher over there. Looks like we lost the feed there. So while we're getting that back. And that kind of thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. well, Never mind. Okay. Yep. We're jumping in and out. Justin, can you hear us? Okay. You hear me now? Yeah, I can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you right now. Okay, so you, we lost you where you were talking about bowing at the house, okay. uh, uh, the um, showing respect to the instructor in Japan. Okay. And um All right, I'll do this. Uh uh Gabe, try to get that feed reconnected there, see if we can do that. And while while we're trying I found to... out about year number twelve was uh when you I... He doesn't yeah. even know the work. Yeah, he doesn't know. So Gabe, go ahead and uh, and and kill his feed and try to restart him, get him back in here. And if you can, uh Gabe, are we gonna can I show a video while you're doing that? Will that be a problem? Yes. Okay. It will be a problem yes, or sir. I can do it. <laughs> you can. I can. Okay. All right. So while we try to get that feed reignited and uh, get settled with that, I want to kind of show everyone what we're talking about. So when we talk about uh, the distinction between like the, the combat aspect of the art and then the occultism that could be a part of that art or that system, um, I want to show you what I mean by that. Like there are benefits here. That would work for law enforcement. They would work, um, and certain of these moves work in self-defense situations. You know, not not everything. I mean, when you get into a combat situation, your adrenaline is pumping. You're going to lose your fine motor skills and those sorts of things. So there are certain systems where, like, they've got some good moves, but it's like, can you really throw that in a fight when you're fighting multiple attackers, maybe with weapons, or, like, your adrenaline is just pumping? I mean, you don't even have use of your fine motor skills, so is it really useful? But I'm going to show you, like, Look, this is good stuff that's just combat-oriented from, from ninjutsu. Here it is.
So you can see some of that stuff is really great stuff. I mean, police officers need to know this stuff. Um, they need to be actually well-versed in this stuff. I was recently working with some Navy SEALs. We were doing some training, and I was like, just... I said, just take me down. Uh, like, how would you take an attacker down? You know, uh, you know, not obviously not kill me with your weapon, but like, how would you take me down and control me? What would you do for pain compliance? And they showed me, and there was just little things you could show them from different martial arts that they were freaking out over. They're like, this is game changing. And they were able to use, you know, different ways you can hold the wrist, lock the wrist, put them into a chicken wing, those sorts of things. This is all really good stuff. And, and this isn't in any way connected to any occultism or anything else. I mean, this is just straight combat. How does the body work? How do you break the wrist and the elbow and the shoulder? How do you lock somebody to the ground? How do you use their energy? They're not their spiritual energy, but like literally their force right. against them. And so this this stuff is all good and appropriate, but let's talk more about the ninjutsu aspect with the occultism and like where it led you. You you we lost you where you were talking about bowing to this this thing that was you were told it was showing respect to Japan and to the grandmaster in Japan, but let's go from there. Right. Can you guys hear me? You can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're bowing down to this thing. And so I jump ahead 12 years and I find out 12 years into it, that it's actually a, uh, a temple, a shrine. Um, so in that 12 year process of figuring out that, that was a shrine and not just showing respect to Japan, we're bowing down to fall, uh, foreign or false gods. And, uh, so a lot of things started happening in that 12 year period that was very demonic in nature, uh, supernatural experiences. Uh, we were taught, uh, remote viewing, like you was talking about a while ago, Jeff have experience in that. Uh, I can tell you, uh, we can touch on that or wherever else you want to talk to, but a lot of the yeah. same things, things you went through. Yeah. Yeah. Weren't you talking Justin about when you were, uh, started getting into remote viewing as you're progressing in ninjutsu historically, was that something that they would use sort of like, cause they, you know, the thing that they are known for is just that being very stealth like, do you, was, did, yeah, espionage, would they utilize astral projection or, or remote viewing to kind of view, what's in the next room before they ambush it? Yeah, um, yeah, you, because if you think about combat, the, the ultimate thing in combat is what uh, every military around the world is doing right now, and that is to figure out what your next mo uh, enemy's move is. So if you can predict your enemy's next move, um, you're, you've you got a pretty good hand in cards there. Yeah, mm. and it's something you can, you can actually learn about this today. Uh, there's some really crazy experiments that our government was involved in with the occult in even the last mm -hmm. generation, and they dabbled in remote viewing and those sorts of things. I mean, it seems nuts and seems crazy conspiracy theory kind of stuff, but it's the, it's the truth. You can look it up. I mean, our, our government yep. was dabbling yeah. in, in remote viewing and all the rest to try to figure out, can we, yeah, can we view our enemy from afar? Can we even kill an enemy via remote viewing? And the only way into wow. that world is through sorcery, divination, and all the rest. Right. And so um, when, yep. I was, when I was learning uh, ninjutsu, and I wasn't doing it full-time, but I had somebody who was, who was teaching me ninjutsu um, wherever I had spaces. I was, I, was, I was training for competition, and I loved ninjutsu uh, at the time because I grew up, again, idolizing ninjas. Um, but when I, was, when I was learning it, well, I was taught uh, like the, the keys to meditation – the rules of meditation, and I was taught specifically, I'll never forget, I was taught to specifically try, after I got my body into a state of a meditation or, or even a trance, to essentially try to escape my own body and begin going into my neighborhood. I was, I was, I was told to try to essentially get out of your body and literally like walk a mile from your house and those sorts of things. And, 
And there was some crazy stuff that was happening in my life once I let that into my house. And I wasn't even a Christian yet. And and we can go on for days about the yeah. stories and my experiences. Yeah. But yeah, it is true. There there was a connection to the to the art to that occultism, and that must be avoided by as a Christian. You can't mm-hmm. compromise with it. You can't say, well you know, just turn a blind eye to it. That's occultism, it's divination, sorcery, it's engaging with communication with the dead at times. And so we have to abandon that sort of a thing. And I, and I want to just highlight once more, one more time, the difference between a combat system, like say, for example, let's name some, kickboxing, Muay Thai, um, uh, uh, combat karate system, uh, Taekwondo, um, uh, 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 Wing Chun, yeah, uh, even Kempo. Um, you have uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Judo, those systems, like those systems are built as a martial science, a fighting science. Right. Like this is my area right. of specialty. I'm going to work the ground. What's the best way to overcome an attacker on the ground? Uh, this is my area of specialty, judo. Um, how, do I, how do I take the person's uh, force and power, make them fall down, flip them over me, that sort of a thing. Like they have an area of specialty and they focus on the martial science aspect. All of that you can do totally detached from any worldview issues that, say, the practitioners had when they were creating the science behind the art. Um, but, you know, there's no disconnecting some systems. You have to be honest about that. Some systems like Tai Chi you just or Qigong or whatever, you can't take away the occultism mm-hmm. from it because the, the occultism was first. The worldview was first. And then it and then it grew from those worldview issues into the techniques. The techniques flow from the worldview or philosophy. There's a major difference between that and say Muay Thai, where you're kicking a banana tree. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how do I throw this bone into my attacker's leg in such a way that he can't stand up again? Like you know, nothing nothing there has anything to do with the occult. I mean, it's just pure scientific method of how do I throw this sharp bone into the, uh, the nerve on the leg, make them fall down. So, um, mo- moving on and, uh, this would be interesting too. I did see someone on the thread and this is such a, I'm so passionate about this discussion. I could do a whole show just yeah. talking about this. Someone on the thread was seeing the ninjutsu moves that I was saying, that's just the combat aspect. Like these are helpful things. They can help police officers, all the rest. And they were like, uh, well, that'd be great if the attacker let you do all those things. You know, there is a, there is a space available while you're trying to learn how to apply these moves. Yeah. No one's right, saying right. in when you when you see a setup like this and like how to grab the arm and then put them into a wing and lock them down to the ground. No one's saying that's exactly how it's going to look in a fight. And martial artists right. aren't training like that. They're not saying this is exactly how it's going to look. You do have to practice the move and you have to find your way inside. Right. I I personally and I hope I'm not offending anybody here. I apologize if you're offended. This is just my opinion. I think I could back it up with some facts, but I personally believe that there are systems that do train their students in such a way where they're giving them an unrealistic perspective of what combat really is. And and Mm -hmm. I kind of believe Kempo falls into that personally in many ways. There are some useful things in Kempo, like with the elbows and like how they'll strike the groin and those sorts of things. There are some, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, every aspect of it. But like, I'll give you an example. Here's an example of like, 
training in Kempo and, and sort of how the moves will flow, where some people might have a, you know, you might have a point if you say, well, that's just really unrealistic. I'd say, yeah, yeah, I understand you're saying that's unrealistic training. Here you go. My right arm's going to continue to orbit hammer fist. I'm going to circle. I'm going to shuffle up. I'll have an optional eye rake here, by the way. I'm going to shuffle up, elbow smash or staggered break is fine. And then I'm going to cross over. So this is going to be together. So I'm going to hit crossover with a hammer fist. I've had the face here. As I unpivot, I got elbow. I'm pivoting to a neutral jaw, neck, load my right hand, floating rib on the left, hand sword, open my left foot as I hit the jaw hinge, start to rotate him, right side kick inside of the left knee, uh, sorry, his right knee, and then cross out. And then cover so out, again, baby. Cover out. Is that Ben Stiller? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, a big thing about the Kempo and how, and how they would and how they would do these demonstrations, and I remember taking Kempo karate when I was in high school, is that there's just this immediate assumption that if you hit, if you strike this person, they're going to react in this exact way. They call it autonomic response. Right. So if you hammer fist someone in the groin, you just immediately, it's going to be like a movie, like, oh, and they're going to bend over. Well, what if they're on fentanyl or they, they're on some sort of drug and they're totally oblivious to any sort of pain whatsoever? Or, you know, what if they're just on adrenaline or just something like that happens? There's plenty of times where someone gets help, gets hit in the lower proximity and it isn't until like 20 seconds later that pain kicks in. Mm. So the idea that immediately it's just going to be this, oh, going to go down, hit him in the elbow. It's just unrealistic expectations. Not only that, there's this immediate assumption that, oh, well, if you go and you, you grab their grab their hand, you snap and you're going to break their elbow, then knock the elbow down. Well, you can't actually simulate a broken elbow because that would be... That would be problematic. You would have your dojo would not last that long if you're breaking everyone's elbows. But you can't. There's just this assumption that oh, well, this is exactly what's going to happen. They're going to react this exact way if you break this certain bone. Yeah, I mean, there, you can only do. You can only take that to a could, certain. That's level. a good point. You can only take it so far. So when when we're trying to separate out the combat aspect from the spiritism and, and all the spiritual stuff that happens in the occultism and the martial arts. You know, acknowledging like, you know, you've got some useful stuff in every system, but every system has its deficiencies without question. Everyone has to acknowledge that. If you don't acknowledge that, you are seriously prideful and you're going to get hurt. Um, you have to acknowledge also, yes, that there are some forms of martial arts that are just nonsense, garbage. And like you said before the show, you're lying to people. Like mm. if, you're, if you're taking money from people to train them to defend themselves and you're teaching this garbage, you're hurting people. You're lying to people. I mean, I had people come to me while I was in uh, a martial arts instructor for my own school and many other schools. They'd be black belts in other schools. They'd come to my school and we'd start them back over again at white belt again. They'd start over at the very bottom because I'm yeah. like, you, I'm sorry. Like you you have to start over. Like right. you are not legitimately a black belt. You're not qualified mm -hmm. to defend yourself. Um, some we of the stuff, too. yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff, yeah, too. yeah. Some of the stuff looks flashy. It's fun. Like I would just quickly. There's a difference between Bruce Lee and the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, the way of Jeet Kune, the way of the intercepting fist, where he teaches in that book strategies that are. You can see he knows what he's talking about. Like, you know, no one's saying that he's best, best martial artist ever lived. But if you read the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, you can see like the science behind what he's saying is really, really cool. And it's very, some of the stuff's very, very useful. The Navy SEALs are grateful for some of that because that trickled its way into their fighting system as well. But there's a difference between Bruce Lee and the Tao of Jeet Kune Do and Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon or Fists of Fury or anything. He's, he's, he's putting on a show, right? Like, I mean, it, it's beautiful. It's an art. So it's martial arts because it's also very beautiful. It's very cool. So there's aspects like it doesn't work at all. And there's other parts where it's like, this is just performance and art. You can respect that and appreciate it. And with that, I'll say as much as I diss 
like Kempo, it's kind of unrealistic to say, I'm going to hit the guy 15 times and he's going to stand there. Oh, oh, he's just sort of like, oh, <laughs> right. And then like, and then cover out like you, you trained in that. And by the way, I taught in a Kempo school, um, not Kempo, but I was a, a, an instructor who came in to help with quality there uh, for some of their stuff. And, and I, I would sit there and watch like, you know, the training and they would just be hitting tw- 15, 20 times and then always stomp the groin afterwards and then cover out sort of a thing. And I was like, I just, I just don't think that's very realistic. Uh, but some of it looks fun and good. Like, for example, if you guys are like 80s kids, then you know about Jeff Speakman in The Perfect Weapon, baby. Um, like yeah. this scene, this famous scene from uh, The Perfect Weapon. Uh, Jeff Speakman was sort of like the Kempo hero. Like he's the guy, that, uh, he did Kempo. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, fun movies, terrible martial artist, awful martial artist. Uh, Jeff Speakman was like the Kempo karate guy. And here's, here's that scene. You want? Huh? You want this? You want my money? You want to take it? Woo! That was fun. <laughs> you can get my wallet back, and yeah. I'll see you dudes later. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so Justin, I have a question too. Just so jumping back, uh, this is kind of like a layered yeah. question too. Maybe, maybe Jeff. And Justin, you can both give me your thoughts on this. Is one, Justin, give some, uh, maybe you both can just share further ideas about what were some other experiences you saw as you got further into uh, ninjutsu. Initially, you're going in there just with this interest in martial arts, and now you start getting into astral projection, some transcendental meditation. You're bowing mm-hmm. down to something which mm-hmm. is a shrine. Um, right. Yeah, talk about, give examples of uh, just further supernatural experience. Uh, and Jeff, you can do sure. that too, but I think the conversation we could ha- we should have. Um, because some people take the approach similar to yoga. So when we've done episodes on yoga, people, some people say, oh, well, this is just a, it's really a physical exercise, but that just so happens to have some spiritual components. And so we did an episode where we made the argument, no, yoga is fundamentally a spiritual practice. I mean, the whole idea of yoga means yoke with different gods of Hinduism. But um, that's the question too. Some people have asked the same question about uh, martial arts is it something that's fundamentally spiritual and are the physical aspects just a byproduct of that? Some people have taken the, that same argument, which I think is a legitimate argument in regards to yoga and have applied that to martial arts. So maybe you give me your thoughts, Justin. I mean, give us some examples of uh, other supernatural sure. experiences you have because you did. Sure. What Jeff talked about at the very beginning of the, what it said in scripture about crossing over, but wow. then know, giving all your experiences and knowing what you, what you know now how do you differentiate between the two? And once you're done doing that, Jeff, maybe you can give me your thoughts. Sure. Um, I'll give you a few experiences and then, uh, then I'll uh, go back to you. Uh, one of the experiences I had as far as astral prediction goes was I used to be in law enforcement and I was a sergeant on the uh, basic patrol. I left there and became a special agent with drug task force under the GBI, which is like Georgia's FBI. Uh, one of the incidents that I had, I had this uh, uh, lady that I worked with, she had a certain temperament and attitude, and I told her I was going to figure it out why she was that way. And she said, certainly, uh, see if you can figure it out then. Because I, I told her I was into the training and stuff, and she, you know, she was curious too. So I went home and sat down one evening, and I meditated. And when I meditated, uh, I could see things happening in my head. And so uh, I went back to her a few days later, which was the next shift that I used to work with her on patrol. And I told her point blank to her face, I said, the reason uh, you are the way you are, the reason you're in law enforcement, the way you act, the way you are is because you've been raped before. And she stopped and almost started crying. And she's like, I've never told anybody that in my life. 
it happened to me and I wanted to get law enforcement because I wanted to make sure it would never happen to another uh, female. Um, some of the supernatural experiences oh. as far as uh, demonic goes, I used to live in an apartment in Millersville, Georgia. And um, when I first started getting into that, that aspect of the training, uh, I would go to sleep. One of the first experiences I had, I went to sleep one night and I, I woke up with this very, very strange feeling in the room. And it was traditional uh, height ceilings, you know, probably like eight foot tall. And I was looking, I could see the light shining in from the, uh, the street light. And I look over to the uh, right side of the room because I could feel like something was over there. And uh, I, I looked with just my eyes. And at this time, I realized I can't physically move. But all I could look and see is out of the corner of my eyes. And I could see something, no details, but like a silhouette of a head and shoulders. And it was a solid shadow. And the ceiling was about, like I said, eight foot tall whatever this entity was, was taller than the ceiling and it was crouched over leaning into the room. And this, you know, like first experience I had, I was like, whoa, you know, what is, what is going on? I couldn't move. I was physically terrified. And then from that point on, I had so many experiences uh, with the occult type uh, mysticism or whatever you want to call it. I've had my, um, I've been, I'd go to sleep at night and I, 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 would I would wake up with my arm being pulled off the bed or I'd go to sleep at night with my leg being, I'd wake up to something touching me and it would be uh, my leg being snatched to be pulling me off the bed. Uh, and when I say a lot of experience for the, for the next eight to nine years, it was constant, which then developed, uh, turned into me a developing alcohol problem, which God delivered me from completely. Uh, mm. I, I don't drink any. I don't drink anymore. But because the only way I could go to sleep without being bothered was to be, and that with the negativity in law enforcement was to be highly intoxicated so that I could sleep without being uh, hindered in any way. Um, so that was my escape from that. But God delivered me from that too. So mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for that. But uh, that was some of my experiences. So yeah. But there's plenty more. Yeah. And then um. So right now, g given all that, and those are some very interesting experiences now. So n given everything you know now, you said you're still a lover and practitioner of martial arts. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because there there's some people who will take will throw out the baby with the bathwater and just say yeah. no. It, every aspect no. of it's fundamentally spiritual. Like, what's your approach? No. And then how do, how do you personally differentiate between the two? No, um, they, I agree with everything that Jeff said at the beginning of the, um, the episode where he was differentiating between the two. Uh, there, there is plenty of systems that you can go into that is solely combative, that's teaching you uh, to step here and to step there. And I will also I'd like to add this, too, about the guy that made the comment, uh, it would be nice if somebody would actually punch or kick you that way. Well, the thing is, is when you're learning highly developed martial arts, just like a little kid, uh, you don't teach them to write cursive day one. You teach them block letters. You teach them A big the b big and then later on you, they write smaller and then more cursive and That's then right. their, their signature becomes their own yeah so you can't be a master fighter uh day one um and nobody enters any field in life uh with that kind of ability if you are then you are like some kind of godsend or something mm -hmm. but um, most people have to learn step a step b step c mm -hmm. um yeah that's right yeah and um uh you know my my own experience when i started dabbling in the occult with, you know, because when I grew up, it wasn't anything like that at all. I mean, I grew up in Japan and Holland. I started with judo. And then in Japan, it was two systems. It was a combat karate system. It's, it was this it was this combat system where like everything comes from, like in terms of judo, aikido, hapkido, jujitsu, jiu mm -hmm. gracie jujitsu. It's like it makes a line from that original combat system where it was like, 
hands and feet, throwing, grappling. It was all together. But then, then these other groups started specializing in different aspects of it. Like Hapkido is a specialized art that comes from that original system. Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a specialized art that comes originally from that Japanese Jiu-Jitsu train. And everything that I was learning was just combat. Like my instructor, my first day of class, threw me in a corner. There was no kids in the class. It was only adults in Japan. And he, he put me in a corner and he made me do a horse dance and showed me reverse punches at the wall and just said, don't move your shoulders. Stay rock solid. You got to train not to move your shoulders to telegraph your moves to your opponent. Sit there in this horse dance. And it was one hour of punching at a wall in a horse dance with reverse punches. I don't know why I ever went back uh, because it was so painful and he was so mean to me. Uh, but I was so passionate about learning how to fight and learning the martial arts that I just kept going. But everything I was doing, like even in my combat taekwondo system in, in Japan, that was just a fighting school. I mean, it, uh, they didn't allow parents in the classroom. In that room, you, parents weren't allowed to view classes because if parents ever saw what they were doing to us, I mean, some of that stuff was like crimes against humanity. Trust me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, if they, they did not let parents view what was going on in there because those guys were were awesome teachers and they made us, they, they taught us how to fight uh, because you had to learn. Every, every day felt like you were fighting for your life in that class, and I'm not kidding about that. I mean, you were, wear, you were allowed to wear a cup in that class and a mouthpiece. And that was, I mean, I'm saying that was the only thing required. And you didn't wear hand pads. You didn't wear feet pads, headgear. Uh, that would help the guy you were sparring if you wore the foot pads. And so everyone was just bare bones out, full out striking. The goal in, in your, your each fighting thing was like knock the guy back, knock him down, knock him out of the ring. So like that was like, that's what you're moving for. Every time you fought in class, it was that. Knock him back, knock him down, knock him out of the ring. Mm -hmm. This is how you're winning the fights. And man, I'll tell you, I got knocked out cold, cold knocked out more times than I can possibly remember in that class. My point is, it was all fighting. Like we had a warm up in that class. We learned techniques. And then like it was two hours of just straight fighting. I came home. I've broken mm -hmm. all my fingers. I've broken all my toes. I have my shin bone come out of my leg. I've broken my ribs. I've broken my nose so many times. The doctor says that if I do it again, um, it's going to be a serious problem because there's no cartilage uh, left in my nose because I've had to have it fixed um, yeah. so many times as well. And so anyway, all that to say, I grew up with just straight combat. It was fighting. Black eyes, broken noses. How do you fight? How do you knock a guy down? I didn't learn any of that nonsense right. until I started doing ninjutsu. Yeah. It was the occultism I learned where I had some of the same experiences where I started waking up to a presence in my room. Um, some strange stuff was happening in my house. We can't go into all of it today, but I had some very strange spiritual experiences that were witnessed by others in my house, some stuff that will raise the hairs in your neck. Um, mm -hmm. And when I made a profession of faith in Christ at 16, that was where this really crazy spiritual battle took place where I had to even go to my pastor and say, something is happening in my house. I, like, help me. Like, what do I do? Because there's clearly something here that is nefarious. It means to hurt me. Like, it's clear, like mm -hmm. it's in my room and it's watching me. And uh, that was, wow. I was, I was serious about that. But also I'll tell you one thing. Why is it, why, how, how come, and, and, and Justin, you mentioned it, people would say like, well, why would you get involved in something like that? Well, it usually starts off like very promising and like exciting, and then it turns mm -hmm. nefarious. And yeah, so, that's yeah, like yeah. everybody's, everybody's engaging in the occult is always that story, right? At first it's like, wow. wow, this is awesome. I've got some power and some knowledge that no one else has. Power. And then it power. turns into something like something wants to hurt me. 
Like I'm, there's mm-hmm. something here in my life that wants to destroy me. Well, like I have a story, and this is the truth before God, um, where when I was engaging heavily in this, I had a friend of mine, we were, I was trying to teach him to do it too, try to pass it along. And so we were in my room basically like having like a seance, and um, <clears throat> we had these two pine boards. Now, these aren't the cheap ones that Taekwondo stylists use, like, you know, like the thin boards, and, you know, you just barely flick them and they break. That Joe Rogan's talked about that before. It's like it's a joke. It was like, you know, a yeah. thick pine board. It takes some effort to punch through it. Well, I had two of them, two of them together. That takes some effort. You know, it's, it's not impossible, but it takes effort, and you got to know how to hit it right. And you really have to hit it just right with your knuckles to really snap through those boards together. Most guys who do karate, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and it can hurt your hand um, if you don't do it right. So my friend is holding the two boards. Lights are out in my room. We just did, did basically this meditation and stuff. And I was trying to practice something that the ninjas um, were teaching me where you basically have the ability to not just have physical power, but like chi energy, physical power that can explode somebody's heart sort of thing, destroy their organs when you hit them. Five-point palm explosion. Exactly, that sort of yeah. stuff, right? So uh, yep. this, is, this is the truth before God. I threw a punch at a good distance away from the boards on purpose because we were training for trying to hurt something over here without actually striking it. I threw a punch. I was so involved in this. I threw a punch. I probably stopped about that far away from the board, and both boards snapped completely, like just blew up, not like cracked, but snapped. He was so freaked out by it, and I was so freaked out by it that we started, we had like, we were, had chills. We were like, we shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, it was so scary what happened that we were freaked out, but it was also like, wow, look what can be done. You know, yeah. and uh, but it it turned nefarious. Like yeah. that was exciting, but then it was like, who's watching me in my room right now? That was what got scary. Mm. Yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah. Uh, did you have a thought on that, Justin? Oh uh, yeah, um, I like Jeff was saying, the seances in the room and this and that. We called it bowing in and training, and we called it meditation um, because you wouldn't call it what, uh, like he was saying, uh, the cult always appears alluring but it's it, it has that that draw like it, it you want to go because uh, as soon as you start advancing in power and knowledge and you have something that other people don't uh regardless if there is something nefarious around you that you having something that others don't pushes you to go where most won't mm-hmm. and um so uh i've had a lot of experience on what jeff's talking about supernatural experiences and stuff i'll tell you one time uh, this is an experience I had, uh, me and a roommate of mine, we were, this was in the period of my life where I drank heavily and I'd, uh, passed out in the recliner and, um, he was, uh, laying on the couch next to me and he was watching TV and I felt sound asleep. He said, dude, he said, you was a sound asleep in the, the recliner. And I know because you were snoring, we'd been roommates for a while. And he said, uh, at the end of the couch, he said, he's seen a little girl walk out down the hallway. Now we're two bachelors living by ourselves. We, there's no little kids living with us. He said, this little girl walked out. He said it startled him so bad. He, he froze. He didn't know what to do. Mm. He said, she walked to the end of the couch, looked at the TV. Cause he trained with me in martial arts too. He looked, she looked at the TV and he said, that didn't, he said, that didn't bother me. He said, you know what bothered me? He said, you sound asleep. When she took her eyes off the TV, she looked at you. He said, you were kicked back in the recliner. You kicked the legs down, jumped up, came up out of the recliner, squared up and eyed her. She walked to the back of the house and you fell right back into the sleep, uh, the recliner and went right back to snoring. And I have no, no collection of that happening. Mm. Um, 
strange crazy stuff, stuff. Yeah, yeah yeah very strange wow. yeah so i guess even the question is if you go deeper uh and you I, it's fine just when you look at though ninjutsu there are aspects of ninjutsu that are just primarily physical i remember when we were learning when we were uh, training together there's once or twice where you showed me the specific kick that ninjas would do i think they would they would chamber up but they would kind of go at a, at a downward angle mm-hmm. versus a typical typical taekwondo where you do the regular chamber and mm-hmm. you you were taught by june Ree, the guy who taught bruce lee how to kick that was my grandmaster but, yeah but even if you look at some of the physical aspects of just the the tools and components they have they have the shurikens or even like the grappling hook that a couple of times we went in the back behind the cry school we were practicing with that uh-huh is there a way though with a we're with, such nerds? Yeah, <laughs> with an art like ninjutsu, like can you take the components that are just physical, and then not mm. and separate it from that? Because this is different between a, an art that's just primarily physical, like taekwondo. This is something that's inter, that's intermixed. Like, can you differentiate well, between the two? Well, I, like like Jeff was saying a while ago, I think there's certain martial arts that are designed that way that you can separate the two. Um, but I will I will point to this, and I will say this as an example, um, because like I said, I was I was in law enforcement. Our military men and women need to learn to fight. Our law enforcement need to learn to fight. Uh, there's much 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 value in that because they're protecting innocent people's lives. Um, so uh, combat is something that some people have to learn. Um, so I would point to that to start off with. Um, there was another example I was going to give, uh, touching on that, and I've kind of forgot. Sorry, it slipped my mind. Luke. I just want to know. I want to ask what everyone's thinking. Were you ever able to like walk on air or like walk <laughs> up walls and stuff like that? Um, no, uh, not that. And a lot of the, uh, but I can tell you as far as channeling en- energy goes. When I was in law enforcement one time, uh, I had a buddy of mine. Uh, he's in he's GSP now, but I was sitting in an open area in this building. We had to use to go check buildings every night when we worked for uh, one of the uh, police departments. And I'm sitting right open in the building. He has to walk directly at me to come through the door. The door has a, uh, from the waist up, has solid piece of glass on it. And I was sitting down pulling my physical energy in to not be uh, visible. I wasn't, I wasn't mentally thinking of myself pushing out. I was thinking of pulling in. He walks through the glass door. Now a cop, somebody who's supposed to be aware, attentive, he looks me dead in the face opens the door through the glass, closes the door, turns around, looks at me dead in the face again, and walks off. I said, I said his name. And he turned around, he, he jumped. He was like, oh, man, I didn't even know you was there. I said, you looked dead at me three times. Mm. Wow. And we're only 10, 10 feet apart. So the, the, the mystery and the mystique of the ninja type thing is uh, they would also allow their enemy, if their enemy was terrified, because you got to think about who their enemy was. Wow. Their enemy was a samurai. Yeah. Right. So right. the samurai is like the Navy SEAL of their day. So I if saw the, the Navy last samurai. SEAL, mm-hmm. Yeah. So if the Navy SEAL of their day goes back because they can't t- tell a run because they work for the government. So they, if they come back and say added huh. to what the story you know happened, they would. And so the ninja would stand back and say, well, I'm not going to correct that, but I'll just let it go because it works for us because now they're more terrified of us. Yeah. I mean, that's how the tradition goes. The story goes that the samurai hated the ninja because they saw them as disrespectful opponents. Like, they didn't have honor. Uh, right. Like, they were willing to to do things that the samurai thought were dishonorable because they just wanted to win and kill and assassinate and all the rest. And they were willing to come at night and they sneak into places mm-hmm. and kill people behind their backs instead of just facing you and, like, having a real 
serious fight. And so the ninjas, you know, worked on like, how do I, they were like the kind of like the, the, in terms of like how the Navy SEALs think, like dev grew, like how do you develop combat things so you can destroy your enemy get out and and like sort of like disappear into rumor and fear i learned some of that a couple weeks ago. right and yeah and so uh like you know yeah they learn how like how do you how do you walk silently um you know how do you uh climb a wall and slip through a window to kill someone in their sleep kind of a thing i mean that they kind of like the navy oh, seals well even when you talk about walking silently i remember you telling me this that they would actually walk on rice paper they, and, yeah. and they would they would do it until they wouldn't make any noise. Yeah, they, they would walk on. They would try to train to walk in different in different uh, scenarios where you weren't you know making a lot of noise as you walk through it because they were trying to find ways to sneak into places. So the samurai hated them. I mean, of course, there's the famous story of like the you know the samurai cornering a ninja in a castle and the ninja you know grabs a piece of furniture and throws it to the samurai and they were just like aghast at this like what a dirty thing and dishonorable thing to do. Like, you know, why don't you just fight us kind of a thing? Mm. Like even how they shape their swords and the length of their sword was a way to sort of like be deceptive how they did it. There's all kinds of traditions and stories and histories of like why they did things with their weapons the way they did. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because there's aspects to like how the ninjas thought that I think that's, that's actually wise. Like you're in war, you're in combat. What's, what's, what makes more sense is to make sure all your team comes home alive. So yeah. like, yeah, slip in right. in the cover of yeah. darkness, you know, make sure no yeah. one hears you right. coming in, kill the enemy and then just psh, bounce. Right. I mean, it's like how we used to do war. Right. Like we just line up in lines and blow each other up. Like, <laughs> exactly. Where's this, so there's, there's no smart anything about that. There's certain <laughs> aspects in Ninja. You got to like respect them. You're like, yeah. they kind of are like the OG Navy SEALs. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, uh, they are. Yeah, they really are. So there's aspects like, really, <laughs> go ahead. And you got and you got to think about the samurai too. The samurai were paid by the government to train eight, ten, however many hours a day, and the ninja were the farmers. So you still had to provide for your wife, your kids, your family, uh, take care of the house and home. So you have the government out there with the samurai who are training day and night to take people out. You don't have that time because you have other responsibilities to take care of. And I remember the. Uh, I'll just say this: this is the thing that I actually forgot to say a while ago, as far as talking about the mysticism and uh. uh ninja suit <clears throat> now i know i'm i'm full-blown uh the canon of scripture is 66 books uh i i, I completely uh can uh confirm that but i'd also like to point just just to talk about the book of enoch actually talks about the watchers coming down and where men learn warfare and where men learn to hurt themselves i thought it was very interesting when the first place i ever heard it was that the fallen angels or the watchers are the ones who brought that knowledge down Another thing that's brought about uh, with the ninja is uh, the ninja learned their art. Uh, the story goes the ninja learned their art by spiritual beings, um, and it was by in the mountains. And if you remember in the, in the Old Testament, in the mountains, the high places is where all the false gods always uh, were worshipped or came to be. Um, the Tengu came to the, the priest within the Japanese system and taught uh, the mysticism, the espionage, the remote view, and all those things that, that we think are supernatural. Um, it's talking about they were taught from supernatural beings. And those beings, when they describe them in history, when they describe them, uh, they're labeled half man and half bird, and they're called Tingu. Well, uh, uh, there's there's another account of what could be Tingu in the Bible. And what, what do we hear about in the Bible all the time that's half man and half bird or man with wings? Uh, mm. Angels, yeah. So it's very, it's very alarming the sim- similarities there. Well, I'm true. not going to say that yeah. is, but I'm just going to say I'm pointing to that. You know. Well, it, it is interesting too, Justin, because you know I remember you, you initially talking to me about that, and it's not just in Japan, 
where the monsters were up on the mountains where they could have attained this knowledge from. You saw the same thing, too, uh, in ancient uh, Greece. Like, how did they attain their knowledge? Well, the high priest would go up into the mountains and they would take a young lady to get her uh, up on psychedelics and get her into a, a trance-altered state of consciousness. And then she would uh, receive whatever knowledge and relate it to the priest. And you saw that depicted in the movie 300. So, you know, at, right. the, at the end of the day, mm. it is it is interesting just because when you when, when it all wait, did com- you just describe Coachella concert? What was that? What was that? <laughs> we talking about that Coachella? There, there's probably there's probably that was their own Coachella, <laughs> the original Coachella up in ancient Greece. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's not, the way you're describing, I'm like that's like Coachella. That, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I want to I wanted to answer some questions that yep. were in the feed, uh, and Justin, feel free to jump in here as as well. Cool. Um, so somebody asked a question about Krav Maga, like how do you feel about Krav Maga? I think Krav Maga is actually great as a as a system. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a fine system uh, that's um, uh, got some devastating, really good strategies within it. Uh, of course, Krav Maga has its deficiencies because it's not a specialized system in terms of like the perfect way to kick this way, the perfect way to punch. It's it's a very fast-tracked, effective, very effective, devastating self-defense system to teach somebody that has a limited time to learn and to make you a devastating fighter. And it gives you certain, um, uh, it gives you a certain feel and understanding of how a fight sort of flows and to be ready for that. And um, something that SEALs were, were saying that I thought, like, that's just, that, that conceptual stuff needs to be taught to people. Like, if you're in a combat situation and you actually have to start throwing, you got to start defending yourself, you have to switch your mentality from, like, protect and preserve life yeah. that you always have to, like, it's yeah. time to break, Engage. maim. Mm-hmm. It's me, 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 me. That's yeah. what the seal said. Yeah. Like when, when it's on. And more me. I've, I've tried to avoid. Right. I've tried to avoid. I've tried to get away from this. I've tried to run away from this. And now I can't. So right now my mindset goes me, 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 me. And Krav Maga has so many different effective ways that they train people in that me, 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 in terms of like attack, 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 attack. It's very effective. Krav Maga is great, has its deficiencies, as does every single martial arts system. Um, again, I want to stress that every system has its deficiencies. It's Jewish, right? Uh, what's that? It's Jewish. Uh, that's right. Silent J. Um, uh, yes, it's from it's 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 it's, 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 it's he said Walter Mittyville right. I didn't even catch it. Yeah, it's the uh, Israeli uh, self defense forces. Is right, Dominion Defender. Yes, uh, it's Israeli self defense system. It's combat system. So uh, a lady in here uh, asked the question, like, what would martial arts would you recommend for women? Sarah asked this. What would you recommend for women to be able to defend themselves against an attacker? Um, I would say you have to think about it in two different ways. I'll just try to say as quickly as possible. One, if you are saying, I love this, I want a comprehensive understanding, I want a comprehensive system, and I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to do it for life, um, that's one question to ask. And in that case... I would make some recommendations, but I'm assuming you're asking a question like self-defense. I just want to learn to defend myself and I'm a female. Like, how do I do it? What I would say is probably you're going to want to, because you're not going to try to specialize. I would say you would want to learn a system that sort of combines maybe Muay Thai kickboxing. And so you learn to box, you learn to move, you learn to use your elbows, you learn to use your knees. Those are the devastating tools you have. You learn to use your shin and kick the leg and all that stuff. So you're going to use your most devastating tools. You're going to learn how to move around in a fight and learn the ground. 
And then I would say get some Brazilian jiu-jitsu in you so that you know how to stand up and fight, use your elbows, headbutts, knees, all that stuff. And then you also know what to do if you're taken down to the ground. Here's the thing. If a female simply learns on the ground with a guy, like she's just learning grappling skills with a guy, well, what if he starts to what if he starts to tear her eyeballs out when he's he first gets her down, she's put him in the guard and he starts to go right for her eyeballs or he starts to bite her mm-hmm. or pull her ears off like he he's just he's vicious. Well, there's certain elements in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu you don't train for that sort of thing because there's rules of the partner and also let's say she's 120 pounds wet and he's say 250 pounds, he's really strong. You just you got to have some more skill set. But then yeah. just one system. Also, what if you get attacked by two guys? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I w- yeah. I would like to, I'd like to say this. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Okay. Um, I would like to say this, especially for the female audience. If uh, you can train and, and take any recommendations Jeff wants to give you. But when it comes even to a grown man having to fight two men, uh, that's going to be a very, very scary situation. In real life, because if you're a grown man, you know they're coming after you, and it's not the play. Uh, being a female, if you're if you're being attacked by one or two men, uh, one of the things that can level the playing field very fast and very, very quick. Uh, this is one of the things my instructor taught me, and I have one on me 24/7. Is uh, get you a uh, most states allow them. Just make check your state laws and stuff. Is a Spyderco uh, pocket knife with a clip on it, and practice drawing it out of your pocket. Um, that automatically levels the playing field to some degree because if that guy grabs you, slams you to the ground, and he's going for your eyes, you can you can reach down and grab your knife, and you can do whatever you need to at that point. Yep. Um, so you can take a man, uh, like if you're a lady that's five foot three and uh, you weigh 125 pounds, and let's say Goliath comes and picks you up, nine foot nine, right? He comes and picks you up, uh, taking a knife to the neck, uh, still will still put that person down regardless of how big they are or the test and it really <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah or that area too yeah yeah no i mean in reality, we're talking about combat here yeah and so like one of the things that i would say is exactly right learning to move like learning to stand up and move i'm not saying that a woman learning kickboxing who's you know five foot three 115 20 pounds and she's you know got these kickboxing skills that she's still going to fare well against the seven foot tall or six foot eight guy who's super strong, powerful. And he can box too. I'm not saying like learn to box him to death. I'm saying learn your devastating tools so you can use them when you can and get out of there. Like learn to move around with a man. That's really really important. But um, having an equalizer, a knife, um, one of the most devastating tools you can use in a fight is a knife. I, I've mm-hmm. I know knife fighting. I've I've, tra- I've taught knife fighting. And like I was telling the SEALs when I was training with them, um, they scare me to death because I know you're getting cut. Like even, no matter how good you are with a knife, you're getting cut. And when you get cut, it's devastating. Like you're going down to the bone at times. I saw a guy get stabbed mm-hmm. last year mm. and uh, his muscle was hanging out of his arm. I could see his bone. It was just wide open. He was stabbed five times in the back, multiple times in the front. His tricep was hanging out of his arm. Mm. And that encounter only lasted about seven or eight seconds. Um, that's how much he was devastating by a guy with a knife. So uh, use a knife. They're very effective tools. Use an equalizer. But, and that's why I said a knife to the testicles. I'm, I'm using that because we're talking about self-defense and women. Um, when I taught uh, self-defense classes to women, uh, one of the things I would say is I can't teach you in four hours to fight a man. I can teach you concepts. I can teach you your tools. But if you don't train in this and think like this, you're not going to get it. So I would mm-hmm. say things to women like uh, tear his eyeballs out, uh, pull mm-hmm. his ear off his head. 
um, you know, gra- you're, you're, you destroy his lower parts yeah. um, as much as you can. You, if you have a, a weapon or something you can use to cut him down there or to bite down and separate flesh, then you should do that. Like you have to think in that way in terms of combat is you're trying to get away with your life, which right. means that you yes. have to stop thinking about the preservation of human life. If the man climbs through your window at night, and he's on top of you in your bed, you can't be thinking about like just doing a little damage. You have to destroy this opponent, which means blind him for life. Um, it, uh, if, if anything comes near you that you can tear off, tear it off, um, and get out of there as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah, and just... just women, uh, go ahead. Women, uh, when, when you go to court over this, women can prove to the court, to the judge, and to the lawyers that they had more of fear of life than a man can. Like, let's just say if... Uh, uh, I just use one of you guys as an example. Y'all broke into the house or, or, or me and you ended up in a fight on the street. Uh, two men going at it. Uh, it. It takes a lot more to convince the lawyers and the judges that uh, Justin was really in fear of his life. But if you have a woman being attacked by a man, it is a lot easier for her to, to, uh, uh, to make the, the, the lawyers and the judges believe that she was in fear of her life. Uh, so they have that on their side working for them, which is a good thing. It's yep. a good thing. It is a very good thing. Yeah, and just to give credence to what Jeff was saying, uh, one of his, uh, you're saying, you know, the saying wisdom is justified by our children. Yeah. Well, wisdom is also justified by their black belts when it comes <laughs> to martial arts. So uh, one of Jeff's top students was a was a female student uh, who you taught. Okay. And, no, no. Uh, it was, uh, I believe her name is Courtney. Mm-hmm. And he went in, uh, her dad went in and just said, I want to teach you how to knock out a guy. Uh, you did that and you trained her very, you, you didn't cut any corners. I was rough with her. You, you was rough with her. And so she uh, knocked out three guys at her black belt test. And there was a time where I sparred adult with her. Adult men. Yes. She yeah. knocked out three adult men. And there's a time where I sparred with her and she hit me with the hardest roundhouse kick I've ever felt. To this day, I've got I've got TMJ in my left side of my jaw just because, <laughs> like, every now and then, I'll just feel, I'll wake up in the morning, I sleep on the wrong side of the pillow, and it's like, oh, ow, Courtney, <laughs> I remember you. I remember, so, I remember yeah. it, I remember it vividly, yes. Like, yeah. her dad, when she was super young, her dad came to me and said, uh, the only reason I have her in this is to teach her to fight a man. And uh, he said, that's all I want you to do. So I just said to her dad, I said, okay, yeah. I said, I will do that. She said, here's Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, she was, I think at the time, I don't even know how old she was at the time, but she was definitely not even a teenager yet, maybe 12, 11. Um, And uh, I said, okay, I said, but you you have to agree with me with something is that you're not going to interfere. I said, I won't hurt her. I'm not going to damage her. I said, but you're not going to interfere with what I have to do to teach her to fight a man. I got to make her aggressive. And he was like, absolutely. You're the master instructor. I'm going to follow your lead. I was like, okay. And I remember one Saturday distinctly, we had a sparring day and I am... She, I'm dragging her. Literally, she just wanted to quit, so I wasn't going to let her. I said, the fight doesn't stop because you want it to stop. So she's given up, falling on the ground, and I'm just pounding her head. Not, I'm not hurting her, but I'm just, I'm just, she's crying, and I'm hitting her head, and I'm flipping her over. I'm dragging her across the room. I'm standing, I'm getting on top of her. I'm hitting her. I'm like, you, I'm like I will not stop hitting you until you start fighting back. So that's how I tried to get her in a place where she would aggressively try to defend her own life and fight back no matter the circumstances. So then she spent all her time fighting me and other guys, so she knew how to fight boys. So at her black belt test, yeah, she rocked some adults. Um, and awesome. uh, and and uh, what happened was with Jerry, I remember this day distinctly. She shows up my, at my dojo, 
and it was a fight night, and there was a you know bunch of men in that night. It was yeah. an adult class and everything else. And then uh, Jerry was just skeptical. I remember he was very skeptical about like, well, how good really is she? Sort of a thing. And I put him on the line, and I, I don't know how it long it lasted. But could have been more than five seconds. She threw that roundhouse kick, cracked your yeah. jaw. No, it was a good amount. It was. It was like she was going. She was. She was playing hard, but then it wasn't until. I actually threw, I actually hit her pretty hard in the nose and that just made her more angry. And that's when she, she decided to go in for the kill. So I need to say that, you know, women can hold their own. It's just, a, it's just a matter of teaching them precision and technique. That's very important. I just had one. Jerry's more. still reaping the benefits yes. of that kick. Yes. Um, so one of the questions I talked to you at the very beginning of the show <laughs> is that, you know, Walter Martin, for example, would say the existence of a counterfeit predicates the authentic predicates the authenticity of an original so what we're talking about there's legitimate cases for self-defense legitimate arts there are a lot of counterfeits out there a lot of frauds a lot of charlatans when it comes to teaching really bs martial arts and i think there's almost an aspect of cult mind control involved because you have guys who are involved it's almost like they believe their own lies in regards to this is what you can do so this is the account that went viral if, you, if any of you are watching this uh there's a guy named it's called detroit urban survival training and mm-hmm. and so Stella and yeah. I watched it. My yeah, son watches it, it all the went, time. It went viral a couple weeks back, Thanks. and this guy is showing examples of here's how to grab a shotgun, reverse it like John Wick style. <laughs> and, they, and, he, and he basically has a thing. He's making up words like these are intelligent options to increase your survivability. But there's people who are going in there who are believing. Oh well, yeah. if someone is in my car and is has a gun to the back of my head at gunpoint, oh, I just know how to just I just tilt my head to the left grab him and I can I can reverse and take the gun from him. There's going to be people if they believe that, like they're going to get killed. So, I guess the question would be maybe be for you Jeff is like how do you give people wisdom for how to differentiate between someone who's uh, knows their stuff, who's teaching a legitimate way to defend yourself versus going into a school with a fraud and a charlatan because you look at someone like this guy, he's confident. He believes like he he genuinely believes this is what you can do and people can get themselves in trouble. And there's even another account too. Um, he actually just followed us on Instagram, uh, McDojo Life. He shows a lot of examples too, even over like in Japan, these other areas where the guys are sort of like nodding their head and they're like flying back. And some of it's just a joke, but there's people, but there's some of it just seems to be like almost undue influence or the power of suggestion. Yeah. Like how do you, how do you, what's, is there any sort of orthodoxy to for avoiding charlatan martial arts? Yeah. Well, I think uh, Joe Rogan had, and I saw him talking about the fact that one of his favorite things to do is to watch all these fake, mar- f- fake martial arts practitioner yeah. practitioners. I thought I was the only one that like loved to gorge myself on these things because they're so fun to watch. And that the truth is in the martial arts world, there are tons and tons and tons of charlatans fakes they don't know what they're doing you know i would say you know one indication and i hate to be nasty i just want to say if if i'm trying to protect my neighbor right now love my neighbor i just need to tell the truth one indication is like if you see a martial arts master school owner teacher who is just a slob i mean he's so out of shape he can't he's not flexible because he's out of shape he can't even kick above his waist sort of a thing. He, he talks about the technique, but he can't really demonstrate it. He can't actually, he can't do this stuff because he's, he's so out of shape himself. He's just, he's not in good condition. He, yeah, he, um, he, he's not flexible himself. He can't ever, he can't actually demonstrate these techniques. That's not your school. I don't care how nice the guy is. I don't care how charismatic he is. You need somebody who actually can do this stuff to demonstrate it to you. You need to be able to see it done and accomplished so that you can learn from that. Um, when you go into a school, I think it's appropriate to ask the, the hard questions of the owner and the teacher 
Uh, what's your uh, what's your lineage? What's your mm-hmm. lineage? Where where'd you come from? Like, how do I know for sure that you're legit? That you have like a solid historical system that is tested, tried and true. What's your lineage? And so finding out. Like, is this just it's a silly sport karate sort of like slap somebody with your feet system? Like, it, you know, uh, I'm talking about the typical Taekwondo school on the on the corner in America today is garbage. It's absolute garbage. You know, hands are down while you're fighting. You're slapping with your feet. It's just not real combat. You're not learning anything that would be work out on the street. But, um, you know, ask the question about lineage. Like, where's your art come from? Like, how, how long has it been tested and, and, and tried? Uh, who's your master? And then I think it's appropriate to ask the teacher and the owner of the school. Hopefully, they're the same thing. Um, I think it's appropriate to say, like, what are your accomplishments? What do you do to demonstrate that you're proficient in this? Like, that's not, it's, it's not offensive to say that to a person mm-hmm. who owns a martial arts school. Like, you don't need to feel bad about putting the guy on a, a little bit, on a little bit of a challenge and saying, what are your accomplishments? How long have you been training in this? What proof do I have that you know what you're doing? Like, that's a good thing to ask. Uh, if somebody came into my school and asked me that, I would have been like, yes, you're asking all the right questions. I'm really glad you came here. Let me give you the list. Like, I would go back to my grandmaster. He's the one who taught Bruce Lee how to kick. I would, I would talk about my system. I would talk about all that I've accomplished. I would talk about everything that I did in competition. I would talk about how I was able to apply this art um, in tough situations, I've been in a number of fights. I've had to fight multiple attackers. I grew up in D.C. I was attacked, and I had to run for my life at times. At times, I, I thank God for his grace that I'm still here. There's times where I should have been killed, and I just hid under a— um, one time I was attacked by guys with a gun, chased me through a neighborhood. I hid under a deck. I was covered in mud and spider webs. And another time I barely escaped with my life at night because these guys, a gang, jumped out of their car and I barely made it around the side of a house and hid behind a bush where they ran past me with like, you know, weapons to attack me and kill me. Um, and other times I had to fight, fight. Um, so I think you need to ask your school owner oh, yeah, big thing, not just their lineage their qualifications, how have they proved that they know what they're doing. But I think really important, and there may be even some school owners that disagree with me on this, but I'm, I, I, I'm kind of old school with this. I think it's how it should be done. I'd ask the question, how much do you do of the teaching? Like the master of the school, like that head dude, mm-hmm. the yeah. owner, how much teaching do you do here? Like I'll give you an example of what happened to me. Um, uh, fairly recently, within the last couple of years, my son, my youngest son, I teach him karate, but he in martial arts, he was like, um, I, I, I'd love to learn some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, we got to find a good school. So I researched for like two weeks straight, like a legit school in our area. I know what to look for. I knew who they needed to be connected to. And so I found a good Brazilian jiu-jitsu school in the area that was actually qualified and, and had a right to be teaching. Let's just put it that way. So I go to the school with my son. I sign him up. And after about a month and a half of classes, I realized they have no curriculum structure. Every day it's random. There's no course of like, learn these moves. Like, like you said, Justin, you learn the alphabet a certain way, and then you make your way from that into like the cursive and the other ways that you can actually express this artistically and make it look nicer. Well, curriculum in a martial arts school needs to be taught like that. Everything builds off of the next mm-hmm. thing. That's structured, it's ordered, and it's gonna teach, and, and you'll, you'll do well as a student. I noticed after a month and a half, there was no curriculum. It was just, you'd show up, here's your class time. And it was always random stuff. But the thing that got me the most is that the head instructor 
never taught the classes, any of them that I saw. It was just these students uh, who were all lower belts who were running the classes while the instructor was off to the Mm. side chit-chatting away with people. And I'm sorry, but a school like that, you need to leave. Because if the instructor has no concern over the quality and the control of the quality in the school, and he's not, he can't do everything, but if he's not in and out at some point in those classes and putting hands-on instruction into those classes, don't go to that school. Yeah. And, you know, if someone says, well, you know, I I work so much, I'm really tired. It's like, but then don't go to martial arts school. You're teaching people how to fight here. Like, you care about the quality. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Justin? Uh, Jeff had really good points there. I agree with him. Uh, that kind of at the very end, it kind of uh, me and the, the other guy that was upper rank in the system that I trained in, me and him were kind of like brothers neck and neck all the way up into black belt. And then we kind of, you know, uh, I got the third degree black belt. He got the fourth degree black belt. And that's where I kind of tapered off. But the instructor at that point, because we were so skilled, he would leave the school to us to run and he would step in and step out uh, from time to time. Um, as the student teacher, I thought that was uh, I didn't agree with that. Um, because I'm not the one making, making the money. I didn't mind doing it because, you know, I'm in that atmosphere and that's my teacher and this guy was very dangerous. And so I didn't want to say anything, but I agree with Jeff on that. The person's teaching, making the money and it's their investment. Uh, they don't, you're investing your time or your child's time with that person. You're investing your money with that person. And so that person needs to be investing him or herself directly back into uh, your child or you. Yeah, there was, um, I agree yeah. With that. So yeah, there was guess, a there was an important yeah. element that I was always thinking of when I owned my, my school and I was teaching is that these students are a reflection of me. And so when they go out into mm-hmm. the world, if they have to defend themselves, like I bear some responsibility that they can handle themselves. And if I had students going into competition, they were representing Jeff Durbin. And that for me, that was a personal issue. Like I was the national champion, the world champion. I wasn't going to have Jeff Durbin students now going yeah. into tournaments and losing. Right. And so I was hands-on. Right. You saw me every day. I was covered in sweat. Yep. I, I made sure I was teaching as many classes as I could. Yeah, you kicked me and knocked <clears throat> the wind out of me plenty of times, too. So Took your wind. Um, <laughs> took my wind, yes. <laughs> took but, my wind, Master Jeff. So yours was crazy. I don't know if you remember the story, but um, there was a time. There's two different stories. There's one uh, was your initial, you had a partnership with a school. I can't remember the name of the school, but it was before you started your own yeah. version of karate. Yeah. But I remember I went to the black belt test when I first started, and I was looking at their forms, and it was so sloppy. I called, I called you. I said, Jeff, is this... Are we? I hope we look better than this. I was obviously, I was obviously concerned, and you're just like, yeah, he's he's there just about. He just want this. Your partners want to put black belts on their students. So he's more about the money versus actually teaching them. And sure enough, our purple belts and our green belts were outdoing the black belts of every single school. Mm-hmm. But then also, I remember, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was he was a bigger guy. And he got himself a black belt, but it was by the time he tied it, he's because he's a bigger guy. It was almost he like a, it was like a even, stub. He was a, it was it like, was like little, a little, little black belt like, stubs coming yeah. out. It's supposed to be a belt. Yeah. He was like he was like bing. Yeah. So I remember he had this guy who was um, I, I don't know if it was his son or someone who's related to him. I think his name was Voss. He was this Russian guy, and he was like, yeah, I know uh, Sambo or whatever some Russian martial arts. And so we're just gonna play, you know, just spar around a little bit. And so I was kind of like, okay, is he doing a setup here? Because he's act, he's just kind of really slow. I'm like, man, this guy's actually like slow. He doesn't know anything. And so I was trying to train him and he was, he was just awful. And (laughs) just, Mm -hmm. I mean, nice person, but just terrible martial artist. And next thing you know, uh, it's probably six or eight months later and we're at a tournament and I'm getting, I'm in a, I'm in the sparring competition 
And there's and there he is as a judge mm-hmm. wearing a black belt. Mm-hmm. And I I was just befuddled. So yeah, I, I you think t- you talking about that? I I had somebody come in and ask me to franchise my school, and I was like, well, what what? Who would teach? What do you what do you mean? He was like, well, you know, we'd find it, we'd find a teacher. I'm like, that's not how this works. Like, you can't use my name in my school and just you have just somebody teach. That's how people think. You, uh, this is a warning for everybody. You it's can't just Jones. go to a karate school or a martial arts school in a corner and say, I guess they know what they're doing. You got to ask tough questions because this guy offered me twenty five thousand dollars to to take the name of my school and open a martial arts school, but there was no instructor, and so I said no. Like my guys are still coming up and I'm, they're not ready yet to, to be like owners of their own school. And so, no, I won't do that. Cause that's just wrong to do to people. And cause mm-hmm. you're char- at the time we were charging like $175 per month per student, <clears throat> except for family rates. Um, that was before like the housing market crash and all the stuff. And, and that's changed a lot of that in the industry. You can't do that. You can't take money from people like that and just give them nothing. And so anyway, he gets upset and uh, he leaves and he ends up, I, a couple weeks later, I find out there's a school opening down the yeah. road, and it's his school, and he's wearing a black belt. He had never trained in martial art. He was not a martial artist. Yeah. So he was a white belt that put on a black belt because he wanted to open a karate school. And he was literally, I drove past it maybe six, eight months later, and he, I watched him teaching white belt classes with a black belt on. This is a man who had no martial arts experience. Mm. Somebody down the road said, sure, pay me $25,000. You can franchise with my school. And he literally put a black belt on himself and started teaching classes. Mm. That can happen. Yeah. Mm. Now it's fast. Yeah. Anyone can get a black belt. And even I love the story, even explaining because there is an interesting, rich history even behind martial arts, you know, the pure aspect of martial arts, too. The whole story of the black belt. Um, some people may not even know that. Can you just tell them about that real quick, like how that came into fruition? Well, yeah. The, the, the tradition is I'm starving. So I'm eating on a show. I hope you guys don't mind. <laughs> uh, um, we're strictly professional here. Very professional. Um, the tradition. You got my writers I got it in my mouth there, Jerry. Sorry. Hold on. What are your thoughts <laughs> on Rex Kwando? Um, it's awesome. Somebody asked, what do you think about Master Ken? I'm like, or I Amer- watched. Amer Dote. What do I think about Master Ken? I think he's amazing, and I've watched all of his shows. His so- sex is ones where he makes fun of uh, Kempo was amazing because he, he makes this point of reference and I was dying laughing. And this is, a, if any of you are Kempo, Kempo practitioners, I'm not sweeping with a broad brush, but he's, he said it in such a way to where he talked the majority of Kempo instructors, like the, the more the higher range you get, the bigger of a gut you get. But he said it in the most yeah. master Ken way you could. And I yeah. remember like whatever I had, it, I was probably at the same time too and I probably spit it out. I was laughing that hard. Hey, it happened with Elvis. Yeah, Elvis trained with Ed Parker, and you know, yeah. I think he, what, what, what did Elvis get a, a, a sixth or seventh degree black belt or something like that? And it's true, as the more he trained in Kempo, the bigger his was gut got. But wasn't there a story too where Elvis was somewhere in Vegas? He saw some woman getting assaulted. Yes. And he said, "Hold yeah. on a second, let me get yeah, out." Yeah, my my, my family lived in Vegas. They told me they told me that story was all over the news, where like somebody was getting attacked in Vegas, right. and he jumped out of his limo and limo. He's like, "Kempo, yeah, ha." Huh. Kempo. <laughs> um, anyways, now that you don't have a full mouth, tell them. Yeah, that's, sorry. That's the cool so story. the yeah. the the tradition is of the belt of of the black belt is that of course you you typically trained outdoors. Um, uh, you would wear you basically wore stuff that was loose and easy and comfortable to train in, and you had a belt that would hold up your pants and uh, hold together what you were training in. So the tradition and the story is, is that over time that belt you would use that was white would get more and more dirty, filled with blood and dirt and grass and all the rest. 
And so the darker your belt was, the longer you were training, the more frayed and uglier it was. You know, you were shown to, you've been doing this for some time. And so that's, you know, the tradition behind where the white to black belt comes from. And then the colors that we put between them now are different for each system and how you designate sort of where somebody is at in the chain of curriculum for that system, which every system should have a curriculum. It shouldn't just be random stuff. Mm -hmm. It should be ordered. It should be, it should make sense. It should be building one off of the next. And uh, otherwise it's just going to be a mess. You'll be incomplete in some way if it's not done that way. Mm. So, all right. Good. Justin. Johannes. Justin. Justin Jonas. (laughs) Jonas. Justin Jonas. Thank you for joining us today on the show, brother. Thank y'all. We had a great time with you. By the way, where are you from? I'm from uh, Georgia. Uvalda, Georgia. Right on. I love the Southern hey, accent. Can, can I, before we go, can I get you guys to do one thing for me? Uh-oh. Yeah. I'm not going to trying. <laughs> no, no. I was trying to tell Dr. White, thank you for writing the King James Only controversy because I used to be a King James Onlyist, mm. and I am not anymore. And I was trying to tell him thanks at the G3 uh, last year in Atlanta. I didn't get a chance to speak to him. So if you would just tell him that, I'd appreciate it very much. I will Got make it. sure he sees this and he hears that uh, Mr. Jonas uh, really appreciates <laughs> delivering him from the King James only, King James King only J- cult. Uh, King James. King James. <laughs> King Yams. How do you say your name? Yam- Yamus? Is it is it James or Yames? <laughs> oh, you're never gonna let oh, that down now. Nope, nope. All right. I'm the gift that keeps on giving. That's right. Justin, yeah. thank you, brother, so awesome, much. Brother. Appreciate you for being on the show today. Thank you for all your input and uh, the encouragement. Everybody, make sure you go to endabortionnow.com uh, to get your church, church signed up to go out and start doing ministry, saving lives at the mill. Please pray for us. We have a lot going on right now. We have a rally in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, on the 5th of March, coming up very soon. If you are in South Carolina or Georgia or around there, come and meet me in Columbia, South Carolina at the Capitol on the 5th of March. Uh, we have a bill for equal protection that's criminalization, abolition in the state of California. Join me out there. We need, let's get 20,000 people out there. So that means invite your whole church, bring a bus, bring friends, come meet me out there. We need to stand out there to make sure everyone in South Carolina knows this thing is happening. We need to make some noise. So March 5th, I think we're still now muddy on like the other dates right now. Or, yeah, Colorado yeah. and uh, Louisiana, they're kind of, we're having to reschedule. Apparently there was a St. Patty's Day parade conflict with right. Louisiana, so we're yeah. trying to figure that we're out. We're working out those dates. So for those of you guys who are in Louisiana and uh, uh, Colorado, yeah. we're still working on those dates, and we'll let you know very, very soon. Um, but go to endabortionnow.com. If you guys can't sign up, get, get out there in the streets, support us financially. Uh, pray for me next week as I'm going to the Denver, legi- or sorry, Colorado legislature to testify for our Bill of Equal Protection. Make sure you guys check out more cultish episodes and Apologia Radio episodes. Sign up for Bonson U. Thank you, everybody, for watching today. That is Luke the Bear. Peace out. That's Joy the Girl. Psych, I'm just kidding. Ah! <laughs> That's, that is that is Jerry. Yo. Jerry. Jerry. No. Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah, you're like Borat. Yeah, <laughs> Is it is it uh, is it Roberts or is it Roberts? Roberts. <laughs> Cultish baby. Cultish. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for watching. Catch you next time right here on Apology Radio. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>